So um, I'm, I have four great adult children. Awesome, awesome, awesome. He's definitely he did run for Senate two years ago, what? Two years ago. Two years ago. So he was- Let's talk about the founding of the Distinguished Gentleman's Club. Absolutely. So uh, about eight years ago, um, since you're a mother, so how many, how many children? Okay. They started saying that I was their African American, and they got this from our president. You know, they were voting. Uh, what were you doing with your job? The first or the second time? <laughs> we the first time. So I was like, I was in and out. <laughs> Good. Awesome. Awesome. So let's. So that, that really is a great place right. to transition. And who is sitting across from me or beside me is never going to sway that. Listen, man. One, I'm not going to crowd this episode. Yeah, yeah. I, I, made, I made it. I made it through all of these episodes. I think I've cried once. In Congress, what are what are the things that you're most proud of accomplishing? You know, as a congressman and as whip. We'll talk with Rajon. Yo, 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 yo. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on, world? What's up? I just realized I didn't change my banner, but that's all right. Welcome, lower, hello, world, and welcome back to Real Talk with Rajon when nothing's off limits. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you are here with me, and I appreciate that. I am your host, Rajon Lewis. Now, here at Real Talk with Rajon, everything's debatable, so on any given week, we could be discussing anything from sports to music to politics. You name it, we'll discuss it. Now, for those who are new to Real Talk with Rajon, we have a goal of shining a light on the great things and the great people that exist right here in the low country and beyond. I know we like talking about all of our favorite hip-hop artists, our basketball players, a Super Bowl just happened, so everybody want to interview Tom Brady. But I'm telling you that right here in the low country, we got people that are making change, transformative change, not not performative change, transformative change right here in the low country. And tonight, my guest is none other than Miss Tamika Gadsden of the Charleston Activist Network. Give it up for her. <laughs> Hello, thank you so much for joining me, Tamika. How you doing? Can you hear me okay? You sound great. What's going on? I'm so excited. I'm I was impressed by the intro. I don't know. I didn't know you interviewed Buffy the Body. Come on. <laughs> Funny story. Buffy's my cousin. Oh wow. Yeah, she married into our family. She married my my um like my second my, my like my first cousin. Yeah, she's, but she's doing mad dope. She's, she's amazing, amazing yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you want to meet her, I could I could I can introduce. She's oh, I, I got some friends that want to meet her too. So yeah. Okay. Good. All right. As long as they're not weirdos, we good. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> okay. She got fans. She got fans. She does. She definitely does. So for those who don't know you, please introduce yourself to the audience. Um, I go by Mika. My name is Tamika Gadsden, but I, you can call me Mika. Um, I am a Jersey native, but I am the daughter of Jim Crow refugees. Yeah. Um, my father, yeah, my father is uh, Ben Gadsden. So, uh, my father grew up on Wadmalaw Island, and uh, yeah, so my story kind of zigzags in relation to my relationship with the Low Country. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just happy to be here. Um, I'm a gadfly. I kick up a lot of dirt, and I keep it real. So. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So let's let's slow walking and then let's talk about the work. Um, mm -hmm. so let's talk about, about about Mika as a child. What what was Mika like as a kid? Oh, I'm a twin, so I have a twin brother. Shout out Terrence. Um, my brother is amazing. He's a pastor. He's he works in academia. He's a DJ. He's you know he's everything. But uh, yeah, me uh, my brother and I were born and raised in in uh, northern New Jersey. 
Um, again, born to, to Jim Grow refugees. My mother is a native of uh, Eastern North Carolina. My father's a native of, of Charleston, this area. Uh, so growing up, growing up in Jersey was great. I've always had one foot in the South and one foot firmly played, planted in the North. Um, but I never really, I never really struggled with that identity in terms of like where do I belong or what's better, or what's not. Um, spent so many summers uh, South, either in North Carolina or South Carolina. Uh, and that really informed my politics. I think that's what really uh, po politicized me early on. Uh, mm -hmm. And both my brother and I, we just were natural leaders. And whether my brother excelled in uh, athletics and I excelled in various things in church and, and community stuff. And um, I think that really just having parents from the from the South, parents who lived through apartheid in, in the South uh, really informed us and, and kept us kept us grounded. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you use the term Jim Crow refugee. For those who mm -hmm. don't know what that means, can you explain that to them? Sure. So, yeah, basically, I, I think um, this is the, the, the time right now we're living in a current time where a lot of folks are getting in touch with their identity. And I think a lot of a lot of times when, when the black story is told, uh, it's told incomplete. It's been whitewashed. Um, a lot of it's been uh, told to us in schools yeah. uh, through formal education without without the proper perspective. And what it what oftentimes happens um, with black people who are born who are descendants of slaves um, of the enslaved. Excuse me, descendants mm -hmm. of the enslaved. We forget that our our past is is painted in a very obscure way. So yeah. when I say Jim Crow refugees, my parents, my father specifically left the South in pursuit of better opportunities, better economic opportunities, uh, better, just a better way of living, quality of life, etc. cetera. Uh, he absolutely, he was pulled up North actually by my aunts. So mm -hmm. that's a, that's a story that's very familiar to a lot of folks in the South. Um, one person, one uncle, one aunt, one cousin would head to either Chicago or to Los Angeles or wherever. Yes. And uh, yeah. in pursuit of pursuit of better economic opportunities, and my father, um, and his sisters, uh, they did that. Um, so yeah, both of my parents left the South in pursuit of better economic and educational opportunities. Yeah, so that's definitely something that that we definitely, like you said, that's a lot of family stories. Um, I listen to the Joe Budden podcast, mm -hmm. and he, he always talks about his family in South Carolina. And the mm -hmm. thing that you remember is like everybody mm -hmm. in New York, especially mm -hmm. all the black people, have mm -hmm. family in the South. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. You, so, so I've never heard it termed as a, a Jim Crow refugee. So I just love yeah. the, the terminology surrounding mm -hmm. that idea. Yeah. I, I, and I get, I guess to answer your, your first question a little bit more pointedly, yeah, we, we don't really tie that we don't tie that history together. And also mm. it's almost taught, taught to us. It's like, Oh, they just left or they just, they just went up North at, at like, a, like a, out of a curiosity. No, my dad, <laughs> like on vacation, <laughs> my dad, my, my dad was telling, I can't remember the, the exact number plus inflation. I can't adjust it, but he was saying his wages like pretty much quadrupled wow. with his first, like, you know, low level job in New Jersey and um in, in that area. And so in Connecticut and New England, wherever he, he got his footing, and it's just like a suppressive, like he could not, he could not raise a family off of what he was earning here in, um, in Charleston. Mm, yeah. So, so, so you're a child, you grow up, um, you, you grow up, you know, as like you said, the, the child of Jim Crow refugees, you come you grow up pretty aware of what's going on. Was, mm -hmm. was that something that, that, that you carried with you the entire way as well? You know, as you, as you, um matriculated through um, your education? Was that something that showed itself in each phase of your life or is it something that just came like a, an awareness for you? You know what, what it really was, was so my dad semi-retired. If you, okay, you're a father, right? Yes. I'm assuming, yeah. Um, so don't ever like move your kids when they're in high school. It's like the most <laughs> traumatic thing you could do. <laughs> 
But on top of that, don't move them from one region, like with a completely different culture to another. And yeah. um, I, I will never participate in bashing the South. So this is not what this is going. But I will say this. Right. Um, the single most, I guess, transformative uh, change in my life was moving from from the New York metro area in Jersey down to Charleston, South Carolina. Not because it was worse. No, it was because of the culture ch- the shifts, and not only that, the education system. And this is this is um something that can't be refuted. The education was just far different. So I came, I was raised. If you looked at my class pictures from from pre K all the way up to the tenth grade or ninth grade when I left, my my class pictures looked like United Nations. I I had, I had classmates of all races, backgrounds, ethnicities, flavors, everything. And coming to Charleston, this is in the um. This is in the mid '90s. Relocating to Charleston, um, it was it was just like boom, black, white. Everything was segregated, and and my brother and I, we didn't we didn't have the word power back then to articulate what we felt, but it felt like yeah. we were back back in Jim Crow South, and um, that really politicized me. I think having my parents from the South is one thing, but but going to high school from 10th grade to 12th grade in Charleston, South Carolina was, um, I mean, mind blowing. We were, we were, we got, we had to learn really quickly that we were in a different place. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. It's definitely, it's definitely a, um, a change of, a change of, of climate. Um, I mean, up North y'all have international cities, like there, there's international areas. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it's, it's like, I remember we took our kids to, um, we took our kids to Washington DC mm-hmm. and her, and my wife's aunt lived in Centerville. So we were in Centerville, mm-hmm. Um, which is like 15 minutes outside of Washington, mm-hmm, D.C. Mm-hmm. And um, we went into Walmart and my daughter needed help with something. And she went to walk up to a lady and talk to her. And it, she looked like a normal black lady. You know, we're from the mm-hmm. Charleston. Yeah. So she was like, uh, she, she went to talk to a lady. The lady didn't speak any English. And she was mm-hmm. like, the black, this black lady doesn't know any English, daddy. And I'm like, no, like she's probably from a different country. Right. She just moved it. She's probably an immigrant. Right. Um, could you talk about how that, because you mentioned like the United Nations aspect of it. How did that improve your appreciation of different cultures? Well, I'm, I'm going to say that, honestly, mm, it's, it, it started off rocky. And then um, as I got older and when I went back, when I left, when I graduated high school and went back to the Northeast, I went to undergrad in Jersey City. If you know anything about Jersey City, it's right outside of New York City. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, and that's extremely extraordinarily diverse even more so but but i will say that i didn't really appreciate the difference in language and culture here like like because again dealing with the changes losing all your friends all that other stuff you know losing all your your northeast hip-hop and have to adjust the masterpiece and (laughs) pass the troll and all that was like uh but no (laughs) but 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 honestly um i think i would say um more so in my in my my adult years i appreciated how how rich the culture was here, how rich the languages were. And I was able to kind of reflect on on some of those things that I struggled with because my father did not raise me immersed in Gullah Geechee. Like, of course, yeah. we, we came down, but we, we weren't immersed. He had lost his accent. Um, only thing he did was cook rice and yeah. eat peanuts a lot. Like, it wasn't yeah. even... <laughs> so, but, <laughs> but, but you know, um, I, I think later on, I, I got a better appreciation. Like when I got to college, I'm like, you know, I, I learned to have a better appreciation for my for my culture. But yeah, absolutely. I think I came down. No, I embraced everyone because that's how I went to school. Like, yeah. you went, so I had white friends. I had, I had my shoot, my high school boyfriend was like half Filipino, half white. Like it, it, it just wasn't a thing. You didn't yeah. think about it, um, yeah. you know, and, and still was in touch with my identity. No, <laughs> no funny business, like still firmly knew I was black. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, just was really not afraid of making friends from all different backgrounds at all, which set yeah. me apart from my friends. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So let's talk about let's talk about your entry into the work, um, <laughs> into the into this activism world. What what made you? What was the thing that made Tamika say it's time for me to get active? Uh, well, I moved down here, so um, I'll just do a, a very very. Uh, truncated version of my career story, but basically, um, I was an executive uh, vice president level or vice president in training in in big box retail and in grocery with made with two major chains in the Northeast. And I, I quite quite frankly, that just never fed me. I'm not a merchant. I'm just a great team builder. Um, and so I I grew. I grew very um, disenchanted with my career path and, and um, my parents were getting up there. Um, my family has sustained two significant losses. Um, and so I wanted to be close to my parents. And I always knew that I wanted to be closer to my parents as they aged. And they of course are still here uh, in the, in the low country. And um, one workplace uh, injury came about and um, it was time for me to kind of reflect on what I wanted to do. And I said, you know what? Let me just move move to Charleston, and, and when I moved down here, I was so um, like so happy. I I've never been happy to come home. I felt like I was coming home, yeah. but but I will say this, Rachel, like in thirty days, all of that stuff that that I contended with as a teenager came back. I'm yeah. talking about the cultural differences. I'm talking about the stagnation in wages. Like if I did try to cre recreate my career while I was making what close to six figures. I couldn't, I, it just wasn't happening here. Yeah, and exactly. I found, I found myself not even trying to just trying to figure out what was going on. And, and I was trying to figure out my voice and become a content creator. I went back to school down here um, and studied digital um, marketing and social media management um, and, and really just try to figure out my way. And along the way, you know, not too long after I relocated here back around like 2014. So you talking about a couple of years and you know, who was running for office. Yeah, and yeah. and pr and prior to that, you had the the Dylan Roof massacre, and then you, yeah. you before that you had Walter Slager, and it's like it was just like this rapid succession of yeah. oppressive things happening here, um, and and people don't even know like Dylan Roof, like like Trump announced office like that those things happen like the next day after each other yeah right yeah and so like all of that just led me to like wanting to affect change and i mean i have a degree in poli sci even though i was working in retail um my education was in pol political science and plus my first job out of college i worked for the secretary of state of new jersey so i was already i always was politically active and um you know I worked in politics in, in like South Jersey with friends running for office in Camden, New Jersey. So I've never, I never like lost that, even though I was in a different career path than what I initially set out to do yeah. upon graduating. But um, some of that is just like muscle memory. So when I came back here and again, like I said earlier, just a natural leader. And um, I just wanted to, if that changed, I didn't know how to do it. So I just, you just get up and you organize. And I started organizing with Women's March. And that was a tumultuous experience, but it taught me a lot about about modern day progressive politics um, and how a black woman can show up in that space. Yeah. And I, I learned really quickly that I had to 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 no longer pussyfoot around and be as direct and 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 create an impact. And so that kind of my my reputation precedes me. I'm I'm no nonsense. Um, I don't really have. It's not on purpose. I, I just I'm not afraid of conflict because not, not all not all conflict is is um is um is negative not all conflict means anything really people don't understand that um right, but right. but out, out of conflict comes a lot of growth and um 
that's my leadership style. I, I really do. I know I can rub people the wrong way, but it really, it really is me trying to push and create that impact. Um, because I feel like in Charleston, we, 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 we know it and we, our, our traditions are steeped in rebellion and unrest and, and taking back our freedom and, and fighting for our liberation. That's in our DNA, literally in our DNA. Yeah. And so um, I just I, I'm not saying people need me to remind them, but I do know that my leadership style is in the tradition of a Demar Vesey. It's in a tradition of those who came before me, my foremothers and my forefathers who've come before me here in Charleston. I'm just trying to walk that path. I love that. I love that what you said. Um, I want to I want to sort of touch back on that point where you you mentioned like maybe sometimes the way you do things rubs people the wrong way. You may have received some pushback. Um, you know, just full transparency. So the reason I know I you know I I know of you um, the they did they were doing a um, hundred men black men hundred hundred men march a million man march here in in Charleston, mm -hmm. and um, I remember that you sort of. I guess you took the flyer and you like asked a bunch <laughs> oh. of questions on the flyer. <laughs> that was I my man to them. That was I my man to them. But, well, but yes, yeah, shout out to Brandon. I see you. Uh, <laughs> but um, but so that that kind of thing, I looked at that and I, I remember to me, he said, um, he said, you know, I didn't even think about the fact that women may feel left out. Um, I do what do you say to people who in this time of activism, where we do we do come from a society that's much very much patriarchal, which you know has its own set of issues involving women, especially mm. black women, talking about these issues. How do how do you feel that responsibility, and how does that um, play itself out in in your activism? If you know two things, if you know anything about me, you know one thing. I love to read. I love and I love to read our history. Like I love to, I love to visit, literally visit our archives, whether it's over the Gilliard Center, whether it's in the public library you know anything about me that's me right and what i what i i think where you'll hear me you'll see if you watch it it's not hard i'm not a good poker player at all mm. when when people erase history or when people move as if they're creating a template and they do something that to me causes harm or has some sort of historic like just has some sort of type of like i don't know just when something is, is deficient in terms of truth or historical accuracy, that's when you'll see me squawk the most. And so, yeah. with, and this is not personal. Like, like I hope Brandon understood that the call out was a call in. Bruh, you, you, I don't care that it's a million man mark. That actually wasn't my objection. My objection was that if you're going to come here and, and you're going to be in and, and start a movement work and start movement work here, leverage the history. Mm -hmm. and, the, and, the, and, and, and arguably the single most important uh, 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 civil rights action of that era took place right here in Charleston. It was led yeah. by Coretta Scott King. Yeah, yeah. And for you to come here and just kind of, uh, and, and I'm going to just say this because I'm old, I'm old enough to remember the first Million Man March and, and, cool. and you, know, you you come in here and copy and paste and, and not even leveraging all this rich history here of rebellion. Man, we got the Combahee River Raid. We got, we got again, the, the MUC, the, the hospital workers march. You're talking about Mary Moultrie. You talk, you still got people who are alive today that can recount that history. And yeah. you're going to sit here and just just kind of cut, copy and paste something that that was for a certain time. And, I, and I'm not saying that you can't call it that. But like not to leverage the history to me was a missed opportunity. And I don't know why. And, and this is what happens to me, Rajon, often to this day, to this day. Um, men will see me a mass. I'm a, and I, I'm a big sports fan. So if you, I wish we could talk about sports. I got sports center on right here. Cup. Like, like, 
like one thing about me, I don't racked up W's, right? And I'm not talking about followers. I'm not talking about clout in the media. I'm talking about um, helping people sustain themselves, um, making sure that grassroots leaders can take care of themselves, granting them. Um, I don't racked up the W's, right? So, so you know, you already know my name ring bells, right? What does it take for you to just say, Meek, I need help, or Meek? And people think this is like kiss the ring. It's not kiss the ring. I, there's a lot of work that I support that you will never ever see my name on. And my point mm -hmm. is like, like why not? Why not call someone who you know is strong, who you know has has maybe a strength in one area? And Brandon had the following, and he had the success. I'm just using him as an example. It could be mm -hmm. anybody. Yeah. But he had the following, and the success of something that took place up in the in the, in the Midlands. And that's great. Build off of that. But how do you, you don't come into someone else's backyard and then try, like, to me, it was not even disservice to me. It was disservice to the, 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 the scores and scores of other black community builders here who have been doing the work. And yeah. oftentimes what happens with me is that men are re reluctant to call me to build strategy. They're, they're more apt to call me to come and show up and just talk on a mic. I could do that on my own podcast, right? Mm -hmm. I don't need that. Or when I go live. So like, I don't know what this reluctance is with the, the men in these Southern movement spaces. I don't know what the reluctance is with them calling women to come and build out the strategy. And half the time again, okay, so I push back when things are historically inaccurate. The other time when you see me push back the most is, is when you, you don't take charge of the narrative. Mm. You, you, you know, like, so if you're pushing the mayor of Charleston, to show up for black lives, to publicly affirm his love for black lives through policy and through leadership. If you're coming and you're pushing that and then all it takes is one phone call and some proximity to some powerful people. If all it takes is a couple of phone calls and some proximity to get you to back down and moderate your message. I'm, that's when I'm going to, I'm going to skulk up. I'm like, you didn't even get what you asked for. Mm. You just, you just got, you just got recognized. And I just, I think you'll see me squawk up the most about that is how they, what they do is that they, they, they try to, they try to the powers that be the, 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 those who are in a position to create change. What they like to do is they come in and they try to figure out what your price is. Yeah. And with, with me, my currency, I keep, I'm not even employed by the status. Any, I haven't been employed by anyone in South Carolina for a good bit. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an employee of the city of New York, like not city of New York, but, the, but like my employer is based on New York city. Yeah. Like there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can threaten. There's nothing you can take away. I own everything I got. And, and I think people hold themselves a little too cheaply in these movement spaces to where just a little proximity, just a little shine, just a little recognition gets them off their path. And then we don't have any movement anymore. We just have people who have, you know, relationships with the, with the powers when we should be constantly interrogating this power and constantly challenging it to do better and to show up for us and to affirm you, you love black lives you love, or do you love the grits or do you love the baskets? Do you love just ranky tanky? Do you actually love black lives here in Charleston? Mm. Show me through policy. And um, I think we just have to change the currency. My currency ain't clout. Um, it's just not, I don't move like an influencer. Um, and <laughs> I guess that's the other thing I might push back on is influence. Yeah, influencer culture and movement spaces. We're not here to get clicks. We're not here. I'm not here to get clicks. I'm not here to get likes. Um, it's important to amass a following, of course, and to build a community. But I am here to try to help. I'm here to try to help push the, co the culture forward. And I'm not alone. I'm not alone. There are tons of progressive voices here. There are emerging progressive voices, amazing young voices that I think we should foster and cultivate as well. Um, and that's what I want to do. I want to just see us show up better and, and ask for more. 
Ask for everything because they're not going to give you, they're not even going to give you anywhere close to it. Ask for everything. So when the compromise comes, it's something that you can live with and that your family can, can, um, can build off of. Mm. It's well said. So well said. I'm, 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 I mean, I'm one, I'm floored just like with the, with the, the level of, and not because like just, just the level of forethought, you know what I mean? Like it, it's just, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of activists, a lot of people who, who are in the work, quote unquote. Um, and they don't have that amount of thought into, to, to that level of strategy. So I just wanted to just commend you on that. Not that you need it because like you said, you do what you do. Um, I want to talk about like, in the last year, right? So mm -hmm. I always use May 30th, 2020 mm -hmm. as that demarcation point mm -hmm. where we got this new breed of activists mm -hmm. that showed up in Charleston. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't got to mm -hmm. tell you. Um, what, what was your thought around mm -hmm. that? Because you, like you said, you've been doing the work mm -hmm. for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we, we know, you know, we went through that era that was the, the, the Muhadeen, um, mm -hmm the era um, where he, you know, was like the predominant figure. People who came into Charleston because, mm -hmm. you know, he snatched the flag and mm -hmm. that whole thing and then moved past. Mm -hmm. And then there was like that, that, that vacuum. Mm -hmm. there, there was a gap. There was a vacuum. Mm -hmm. And then May 30th happened. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. everybody was an activist. Yeah. What, what was your thoughts when that thing happened? Let me say this. It's really good to hear your perspective on that. Cause I, I love like, cause I know we're in like different worlds a little bit. Like we're, we're black and in Charleston, yeah. but, and we got a lot of friends that we're in like in community with this yes. are similar, but I love the fact that you just kind of helped me see it. Cause um, I don't want to be that. See, I don't want to be that old chick. That's like, you know, kid get off my lawn. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. I don't want to be a hater. I don't want to be Shaq on TNT telling <laughs> The young buck that yeah. I don't think you got it in you. I don't ever want to be that. I know people think that's me. That's not me. I, I might be a little Jake Shuttlesworth, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I might be a little tough, but I'm gonna I'm get you. But no, I love it. But <laughs> but, but nah, it it, it 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 again, it's that influencer culture. So basically, right, we're all quarantined, we're all at home, we're all working from working from home, and and we have we're just we're just moving different because of the COVID nineteen situation. And so yeah, George Floyd ignited everything around the world like i've never yeah. seen anything in my lifetime and you know i'm reading books about stuff like this happening maybe in the 60s right but you had george floyd murder caught caught on film and then everybody was ignited and like you said it it, it, it politicized a lot of people and activated a lot of people which yeah. is good which is good but what happened here in charleston because the leadership here and this is not a knock to anybody you're right a vacuum was created when one figure left but that's the problem when movement spaces are built off one person specifically one man People, uh, you know, Ella Baker warned us against that messianic figure, you know, that that charismatic messianic figure, because once you neutralize that person, where's your movement spaces? And right. that's what happened. Right. And so um, not only that, people are at home. And so they're largely looking at life. I'm going to turn my mic down a little bit. They're largely looking at life um, through the phone, through Instagram, mm -hmm. through, through Facebook, on, on Twitter. And and what happens is that things start to become accessible. You, you you so so people just be able to to connect with other people, and they're able to create an image that looks like oh well you know that person's saying all the right things, and they got the right books in the background, and you know they I, I see they like the same stuff that I like, and yeah. you think you know pour water stir and activists, and as opposed to actually building movements, and that yeah. takes let me tell you something. It takes time. It took me years to gain the trust of black communities here and i and i still i'm still working on that 
Um, you know, it took years of people understanding that sometimes my, my Northeast accent comes in and they don't know if they can trust me. Now I tell them my daddy name and tell them my dad and my cousin, my auntie. And it takes years to build that trust in that, in that relationship. And, um, you also have you have the media, you have larger forces really trying to find that messianic figure. So they anoint this person, the leader of, of this movement. They look for BLM. They were literally looking for because my, my Instagram page is Charleston Activist Network. They literally were looking for not and, and I, they, they just kept coming to my page for for that thing. They wanted Jesus to find Black Lives Matter. Right. Right. And and then <laughs> and then. And then I'm like, nah, this ain't that, you know, and, and I had to create all these these boundaries, especially for white folk, um, because that's important in the movement spaces. Um, but, yeah, it, it was it was it was something to see. I mean, I mean, I, I, all I all I had to do at, at some point, you just can't you can't worry about that because that's just what pop culture does. And that's what influencer culture does. It, it, it's all ag- algorithm driven. And then at, as the dust settles and you don't you're still there and you're still doing the work. I mean, that's that's I didn't even try to sweat it too much after a while, but there were people making making thousands of dollars off movement work um, and extorting people. And mm. that that part, that part, mess, you know, I didn't like to see that in South Carolina. I'm, and I've seen that more in the Midlands than I saw down here. Yeah. Um, but um, you had a lot of people just throwing cash at the problem. And um, if you know anything about my content, I tell white people all the time that, you know, this ain't even about writing a check. This ain't about stroking a check. This is about actually going into your community, your spaces and, and liberating whatever resources you have yeah. and forfeiting that and passing it on to the people living on the margins. People push to the margins. This is not about just stroking a check or coming in and Venmoing me because that went crazy, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So you just you just you see the influencers. Um Around that time, I was being called a monkey by some white woman on on a reality show that shall remain nameless. Mm. And so, so I had the I had the George Floyd stuff going on, and then you know all these 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 white MAGA people from Mount Pleasant attacking not just me but other women of color. And then you and then you got black people, you know, trying to capitalize off of that. It, so it was a lot going on, but I tried to remain focused. But it was it was very tough. It was very tough. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And I do remember that thing happening with, with the lady from the show, which we <sighs> shall not name. Did, was that is that in litigation or was no. the No, you know what you what 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 um you know this too because you you work in social media, you know outrage is a commodity. Yeah. So and what I, I learned it too late or I figured it out too late in my specific instance, I actually thought I was contending with a person. I didn't realize I was contending with a network. Mm. So so once I stopped engaging with this hateful person, with this this racist, this white supremacist and her white supremacist friends and boutique owners, once I stopped engaging with the content, that's how I got my power back. But but they the, see your outrage is a commodity and people don't understand that that's that's why Shaq says what he says on TNT so you yeah. can click the click and then yeah. it can it can run up you know like controversy is for sale and so you have to not you have to you have to draw a line in the sand and not give people access to your outrage because my rage is righteous and like it's 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 used for like when I'm mad at the system when I'm mad at the mayor when I'm mad at the at the sheriff that rage is righteous rage, but that that stuff on on Instagram and, and on Facebook and all that, they want you to get mad. They want yeah. you to watch the clip over and over again. They want you to relive it. So that it just um it was sad to see black people sign up to be on that show after someone mm. liking me to a monkey. Um, black people say, you know what? I'm I'm gonna get my I'm gonna get my my follower count up. I'm gonna get my recognition up. And I've called those black people out and those women of color out who joined the show after and right. created. 
created a whole storyline off of my <laughs> off of my trauma. Uh, and got a little bump in the ratings, all because this white woman. This white woman is now able to. She commodify how calling another black, calling a black woman a monkey. She turned that into a whole like brand rebranding and, and launch. And and black folks were complicit on the black folks on the show were complicit in that. That hurt my heart because I was in community with those girls, and and um, it was sad to see like, wow, you you're that cheap that you would just be on the show when when I know for a fact countless black people said no to that show and said no yeah. I wouldn't I will not sign on to this show I will not be a party a party to it and um but there's some black people who you know 40,000 followers that's a lot to them hey, that, yeah. I guess you know like like you said some people just got that price and their price is way too low yeah. um I, I want to talk we, you began talking about um you know dealing with you know uh, white people especially in activism I want to talk about white allies um because of the fact that especially when we saw um, during the Black Lives Matter, a lot of what they call the Black Lives Matter protests, some people call it the uprisings, some people mm -hmm. call it the riots, the whatever they want to call mm -hmm. them. There was an astronomical amount of white people that were involved in the protests. Mm -hmm. um, what was what is your experience with that in protesting? And what are your thoughts on what it brings to the table? Well, okay, so whew, um, I would say the younger white protesters they were a progressive minded these were these are more more apt to be people who are really trying to impact change and model what what progressive radical black liberation like what it looks like to stand next to someone fighting for black liberation and also police abolition i think those younger protesters they they got they got more of it now your older white uh, specifically white women um, are capable of a lot of violence in movement spaces because mm -hmm. they they can't help but center themselves and make themselves a victim when we're trying to talk about no police brutality and use of force. I've been screaming use of force about the police for over two years, way before May May you know thirtieth, twenty twenty. Absolutely. And and, and um, I've been scrutinizing that police audit and all of that. Um, and and so I knew what this was about. I was like, oh, wow, this is a this is an amazing opportunity to hold the police accountable, and it got reduced to to everything else. Again, black that lack of leadership, but also too sometimes white women will come in to that space, and white men, of course, because that's a whole different animal. But white women in these social justice spaces cause a lot of harm because because of the way that our society is set up to put them on pedestals. Yeah. So what? So they 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 tend to just center themselves and only see their pain, only see their discomfort, only see their the um the inconveniences of of maybe a, a a restaurant being shut down or you know oh I can't go to King Street and, and and have brunch the next morning even though like the whole world's on fire um behind a certain issue and, and having this really rich conversation about um how can we imagine a world without police right. Um, so I, I would say that, and I, and I know that might sound, that might jar people, but white feminism is really an issue. Um, it's a huge issue. Um, and, and I've lost, I've lost, I don't know if you want to call them friends, but I've lost people who just don't understand why I keep indicting that, but it keeps cropping up. If it, you know, uh, literally, like I said, I was fighting with a woman calling me a monkey and all of her MAGA friends. These are women with extraordinary resources. These are women that have had held school. Uh, events in your kids schools mm -hmm. they have done black events this black events that these are all women who tout themselves as liberal but they're they're participating in things that actually 
um, are harmful to me and my community. But I would say the younger, there's so much hope. Like I'm telling you, these conversations that I'm having my younger people who are reading books, who are reading about reading about communism for themselves, reading about socialism for themselves, understand like come and remember now, Rajon, we just came out of the the primary. So like so the presidential primary that got a lot of people politicized and, and activated too. And so a lot of people had like their political education wasn't just something they learned on Instagram. They actually were 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 just more poised to 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 take on harder issues, harder political issues. And um, I don't like the word ally. I don't believe in allyship. Allyship is transactional. The, mm. It literally means that we have to be in this together. Like, you know, we're fighting this because we both have a mutual interest. I don't do with that. Um, I deal with that. You'll hear me call. You hear me call for co-conspirators. You'll hear me call for accomplices. Um, and um, because I need some, I need white people with means and people with with resources to actually leverage those resources and forfeit that. Um, to, the only way to get to black liberation, if white people wanted to end white supremacy today, they could. Mm. They could. It's white political will. If they really wanted to will it to be, they could. Um, but it requires a lot of discomfort. It, it requires a forfeiture of a lot of resources to make things equal. Um, and they and a lot of folks just won't do that. And so um, I'm looking for white folks. If I do organize white folks, usually this is what I do. And this is you can you can follow me. You can see it. I don't lead white women. I don't make any content for white women. I don't make content for white people at all. I make content. I'm speaking directly to black people, whether black people watch it or not. My content is specifically about black people. It centers the black experience. It centers our history. It centers everything about us. White people, you get the privilege of actually watching me and learning something. And any white person that, that deals with me directly, whether they help me create content, they're doing that out of service they're doing that because they want to be more of an accomplice and so that's the kind of relationship i have with whiteness i don't center whiteness i don't placate whiteness i don't make things palatable i don't water things down um that's not what i do i'm not shucking and jiving so but best believe me if there's a white person close to my content or close to my platforms it's because they've already demonstrated to me that they will they that they will actually they're they're invested in my ascension and they're invested they're invested in the liberation of black people I love that. I love. I love the way you the way you put that just now. That was that was really really well said. I want to ask you this because some people would listen to that and say that's racist. <laughs> well, black people can't be racist. Um, that's number one. <laughs> um, number number two, white. Let me tell you something, Rajon. White people hate being called white, and they hate they hate when you point out their internalized white supremacy. We all got internalized white supremacy. Some of my biggest conflicts with like um, black people in the South, because my parents and I'm a group of my parents into that. My parents are conservative black folk. Right. So like they're not progressive. I'm progressive. They're conservative. Um, they they wanted to vote for Biden. I was Elizabeth Warren girl. And if not Elizabeth Warren, I was Bernie. Right. Mm-hmm. So those are two progressives. Um, and so that's cool like that. But black people have been coexisting like that forever. So that's not a problem. But I think that what, what some sometimes with that conservative value, those conservative values in the South, how that manifests is through anti-blackness where we start policing each other and telling yeah. people, oh, oh, what you going to do with your income tax check? Oh, y'all ain't y'all son ain't pulling their pants up. That, that, that's a lot of anti-black. We're saying the same things white people saying about us yeah. at the, and they at their kitchen table. Right. Yeah. It, 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 I'm not saying excuse bad behavior i'm not saying that i like to see boys with their pants all the way down they thigh i'm not saying that that ain't me right that ain't right. my look right right <laughs> but, right but, but I, what i'm not gonna do is i'm not gonna i'm not gonna talk down to that person and i'm not even gonna try to change them i'm not gonna try to change them i'm gonna try to build community with them so they understand me and we build we build a relationship and if there is room for crisp for crisp 
firm correction. Hopefully that'll come because he'll trust me or she'll trust me to say, you know what, Mika model something different. Let me let me do that. My my twin brother, who I'll always lift up, he taught he said this to me years ago. He said, Tamika, more is more is caught than taught. Mm. And I don't believe you had to browbeat anyone um into change or reform. And I think when it comes to like, like I said, like a lot of conservative black values in the South are steeped in anti-blackness and I get it. We had to look a certain way, act a certain way, speak a certain way to literally, to literally survive. We could not look white people in the eye. We had to hop off curves. We had to kowtow and, and we had to dress a certain way. We tried to, right? But, but, but we know that those things don't save us. They'll shoot right. us. They'll shoot us in a suit and they'll shoot us in baggy pants, right? They'll shoot you if you're a woman, they'll shoot you if you're a child. Um, and so um, I think a lot of our language sometimes can be very anti-black and we're saying the very things that white folks say when they're when they're in community with each other and um we have to break that cycle i think that's where i push back the most but you know i don't i don't really push too much because i understand where that comes from that came out of survival so yeah mm. all right so let me ask you this question um mm. you you've mentioned a lot of things like in terms of your your political knowledge you're definitely well versed in the things <laughs> that's going on in and around the country um do you have anything in your political future any aspirations oh my gosh people always ask me that um I really do want to. Um, I'm gonna tell you this too. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be real with you. I really, I really enjoy seeing your content grow, and I'm. Wow. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sidestepping your question. I really have. I've seen you like from the couch to. And again, COVID like is a blessing because everybody like me too. Like I'm growing my whatever it is, and I honestly like to occupy that space. Like I, I want to. I think it's so important to have voices like you because we don't have the regions in mainstream media nor should we be nor should you be in mainstream media not you know unless it's on your terms nah but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right right you don't need it you really don't now but um but i think it's important for me to continuously occupy a space where i, I contextualize some current events and that i add commentary i'm more interested in that than anything but best believe i will run an insurgency campaign when I get ready, I will run. I don't know what seat, but I will run an insurgency campaign. And by that, I mean, it's a campaign with a very specific platform and I won't be running just to just to kick up dirt. Right. I'll be running to win, but I'll be running it very unapologetically, very, very pro black. Um, uh, I will be running on things like police abolition, um, you know, equity, justice, social justice, racial justice, um, gender justice, uh, indigenous sovereignty, um, land justice. I'll be running on things that really matter to people who look like me and people who I've loved and, and, and who I've been in community with along the way. So um, I won't count it out, but right now I really do want to grow um, my podcast mic'd up. And I also want to continue to create the little things I'm doing on the side with, with podcasting and, and, and video creation and stuff like that. So, yeah, I love it. I love, I think, I think whatever you put your mind to, you're going to be successful because it's obvious that you're one who doesn't just talk like you 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 really think through things like that's something that you know mm -hmm. throughout this conversation i've really been you know <laughs> really like not just say impressed i hate using the word impressed because it sounds like you have low expectations for somebody and you're like oh you blew me away no like, no, no like but, like you're like you're an impressive person but people people don't know me like i think i think a lot of people just think i do look, look i ain't gonna curse because i know you no, right. cut. Uh, you grow. No, uh-uh, no. <laughs> uh-uh, I'm not on this platform, but you can get plenty of curses when you watch me on IG Live. Oh, <laughs> but no, but no, um, that's my daddy fault. Blame, blame Benjamin. But um, but no, um, 
I think people just, they see me and I kick up dirt. I say stuff. I'll, I'll come at, you know, and not even come at my people. I just, I, this is the thing. Black people have been disagreeing publicly since we got off, got off one of them ships. Like I, this, 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 this like misconception that conflict is not, is not um, generative or it's not positive or it's not, it, it's not, it, it's violent. Or we have this thing where like, we all got it. Like unity means we all get along. I don't, mm. bang, I don't bang with everybody. Cause some of the stuff people saying black MAGA, some of the stuff <laughs> people be saying it's, it's asinine. It's asinine. And then now I'm gonna hold you to it. No, you had the cap, you had the cap on bruh. You had the cap on. You was in there with Steve Bennett. You was in there rah-rah doing all the other stuff. And, like, I'm going to hold you accountable when you come back to the community. And it doesn't mean that that person is evil. Right. It doesn't mean that I'm like, that. I don't see the good that the person has. I see all that. But we ain't talking about both sides right now. We're talking about when you do harm and you cause harm to the community. I'm, of course, who else going to hold it? Who else going to keep it a buck? Right. I, like, like, I believe in that. That's a tradition of accountability. You know this. I mean... How many black men have, have pulled you aside throughout, throughout the way? Or how many black women have pulled you aside even in your grown years, right? Yeah. And so, like, I, I don't know what this thing is where, like, I, I get it. I talk I talk tough. I ain't going to lie. I, I get it. But but it's not like, like, if you call me, we just have a heated conversation. It's, yeah. that's, that's what it is. It's a heated conversation. And um, I, I get I get hot, especially my triggers are when you when you just give in and you get a buck what they want for nothing. Like mm. you don't get nothing. You think a couple of shekels or a couple of uh, a, a, a couple of minutes of airtime is 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 anything. It's not. And I just think I get I get really hot with that. And I, I got to change a little bit of that approach. But um, I think people they see the anger and I don't give them the I don't give them an opportunity to really understand me or understand that it's informed by something deeper than just acting, you know, acting yeah. out. Yeah. I think nah. people just think something else, but no, nah, I think like, like everything you just said, like, like I said, like, it's, it's just like, you just said, like until people really get to know somebody and what's behind that person, it's really hard to, to, to make a judgment one way or the other about that person. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I did have a question in the in the um in the um, comment section about how you felt about people who, black people who supported Donald Trump. I think you gave that answer. <laughs> uh, did you want to dig deeper or what? You yeah. Okay. Cook. So so look, ain't nothing new under the sun. You know, I take it back to Sunday school. The Sunday school teacher of the year, nineteen ninety five. So like um like. Ain't nothing new in the sun. We done seen this. We done seen this with COINTELPRO. Pro. I can't wait for that movie to come out. Um, Black Judas. Like yes. we, done, we done seen how how white white supremacy infiltrates black communities, right? And so the biggest risk, the biggest trend and risk you're gonna see, Rajon, in the next let's say four, six, whatever years are gonna be black male conservatives. Mm. Now, now part of it is that the Democratic Party. First of all, I'm not. I don't consider myself a Democrat. I hate the establishment. Just. Y'all, people don't understand my politics. I don't like establishment corporate dims. I don't mess with none of that. And but 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 I, I you know you work in those spaces because that's what you have to do, like Bernie yeah. does, right? Yeah. But so so what we what we've seen, what I've seen as an operative um on the periphery in the in the Democratic Party, we see a lot of the practices where they just completely they they go they went too far they pandered to black women I I'ma say I'm, I might be one of the few that say they pandered to black women black women this and black women that not to say that we don't deserve we we need to we should have had a supreme court justice we should have more, we should have more black women senators we should have more more parity more representation yeah. across the board and the Democratic Party has never given us that word up to Majeska Simpkins who's been saying that since Jim Crow so yeah. so we should have been we should have been get we should have gotten more ground as black women but they went all in on that 
And what they did was they forced, they, they forsake, they say, okay, we're not going to, we're not going to focus too much on black men. And, and then you saw a narrative and I saw a little bit, I ain't going to buy too much into it, but I saw, I saw enough of it to get a little like, okay, what are we doing with black men now? Like, so, so now we, we just telling them that they're not, they're not showing up, which they did. They did. Um, and it's this narrative of like, it's us against them. And that us against them thing is prevalent in the Democratic Party and is damn sure prevalent um, on and on MAGA and conservative sides, right? Um, if we, so, so I see how they're trying to divide the community, and they've been doing that since day one. Like I said, since we stepped off this slave ship, they've been dividing our families and dividing our sensibilities and dividing our politics and pitting one against the other. That's how white supremacy worked. There were white poor people, and during Reconstruction, that was about to be like gang gang with us. Like, yeah, we poor, you poor, you black, I'm white. Yeah. Let's go. And that's when they say, "Oh no, 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 black, black codes, yeah." <laughs> and they take they're taking your jobs, and oh, those black people they're gonna rape your women. They, that and that's what they and that's what that you see that you see some of that being pervasive, right? Is pervasive in a lot of, um, I think in a lot of political spaces. But but what what with conservatism? Look, be a black conservative. I grew up with black conservatives in the world. I, I know, be a black conservative. Like that's fine. Being black MAGA or Trump adjacent. Oh, you just going full bore into white supremacy. Yeah. There's not there's nothing about um there's nothing cogent about what Trump stood for. Look at how he's look at the lawyers he sent to his dang on impeachment trial. Those jokers weren't even prepared. They're spelling the, the country's name wrong on, on preliminary paperwork. That's what that man is. I'm from Jersey, bro. Let me just lean. I'm from Jersey. He, he couldn't even he couldn't make a casino work in Atlantic City. Like I'm a sports fan. He sunk the USFL. Like, how are you like, ain't nothing about this dude say winning, but he's a con artist and he's been a con artist since day one. And I just don't understand like how y'all, how people think or trying to say, Oh, I'm just conservative. And well, he's doing a lot. Like you had one guest um, that, that was black MAGA, as I call <laughs> and he was saying on, he was saying on your show that what he's done for criminal justice. I said, wait a minute. He's this man's on uh, this, this former president is on trend. To to uh, uh, kill how many people? Uh, Electrocute how many people? I'm like, wait a minute, how many people? So he freed how many? But compared to how, like the numbers wasn't adding up. And you just yeah. saying you saying that because that's what they told you to say. And they keep they keep they and that's how they pander to black men. With, oh, criminal justice, and it ain't no criminal justice reform. It's just a couple of high high profile things. And I just think that we keep we can't fall for the okie doke. We have to be able to look. There's nothing cogent about what this man. He came down the escalator calling Mexicans rapists. How the how the hell is that like? I yeah. I don't I don't understand that. I just don't yeah. understand that. And uh, we Rajan, I could tell when people ain't doing they reading. Read a book. This stuff ain't a library card is free ninety nine. <laughs> it is not Google is even freer. Like it's not hard to study black civil rights tradition. It's not hard to see like how and that's our blueprint. We don't gotta recreate nothing. Yeah. They've been dividing us since COINTELPRO and way before that. And I don't. I just don't understand why we fall for the okie doke. It's, it's just a new. It's just a remix. Just mm -hmm. a remix. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I'm gonna start to wrap up, but I, I want to yeah. ask you your thoughts on the current administration, and what would you like to see happen within the next four years that you would deem as a success? Yes. Yeah. Some people might be out here spiking the football, but I'm up here like trying to check my blood pressure every night because. 
I I mean, we got the majority. We ain't acting like it. Like mm. we we still talking about the de- we still deliberating on this the stimulus package and still trying to get uh, a Republican co-sign. I want to see the Biden administration actually act like they got the majority. We're only going to have it probably about for two years. I don't think we're going to be able to capture anything. We saw what happened. I thought I thought we were going to clean out the Senate. I thought we were going to clean out the House. And and it's because and, and and this is why I think a progressive candidate, if it, if not Bernie, if not Elizabeth Warren, if not Julian Castro, I, I really think those three were the more progressive uh, candidates. And I really wish that we would have had that because you see Bernie um, he's actually pushing the Biden administration further to the left. And we need, I just want, I hope that the Biden administration listens to the more progressive faction of the Democratic Party. That is the new wave they cleaned up. Now, a lot of progressives came on. And I think we need to start paying attention to that message, which is largely like a more modern populist message. That's all about the people. It's not, it's not defund the police. It's really just common sense. It's, it's, it's higher minimum wage. It's, it's um, affordable health care, access to health care. These are things that poll popular everywhere. Kentucky is right, has Obamacare. They just call it something else and they love it. Yes, you know, so I just want to see us push a little bit more to the left and start acting like we got the majority. And like they steamrolled us over eight. Obama didn't, man, they stopped so much of Obama stuff. And it's just like yeah. now, now we got the football, and you just like, you know, I don't know. It's just weird. But I hope we do, I hope we push harder because it's time. And, we, and people, people need relief coming out of COVID. We, we really need relief ASAP. So hopefully that'll happen. Yes, absolutely. So what I want you to like, what I want, because I've enjoyed this discussion so much. Um, one, we got to get coffee or lunch one day. Like that's got to happen. Because, okay. because, yes, because like this conversation could last. Um, but I, I want to make sure I can put this on IGTV. So mm-hmm. I try to keep them under an hour. Yeah. Um, but like, I want to first of all, thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, this has been an amazing discussion. Um, I want to get your parting thoughts and then I'll do my wrap up thing. But I just want to thank you so much for your openness, for your transparency and for who you are um, in this space. So thank you so much for that. Parting thoughts. Oh, mm. oh man, I didn't even watch this. I don't know what to do. But anyway, um, parting Whatever thoughts. Whatever you want. Okay. Um, okay. To, to Rajon's uh, followers and those who support him, I ain't that bad. <laughs> You're dope. I'm a fan. I don't know. Okay, I'm not that bad. Look, <laughs> I'm tough, but I'm but I'm all, I'm always gonna come correct, and I'm always gonna be there for my people. I just want people to check me out. Um, support the Mic'd Up podcast. Um, uh, you know it's on iTunes, on everywhere, Spotify, everything. Um, and support me over. I'm on. I, I'm on Instagram. I can't stand Facebook. Sorry, no shade. But um, I'm on Instagram mostly, and hopefully, um, on some other platforms soon as well. But just support. Charleston Activist Network, wherever. <laughs> what's what's the um what's the um app for for um mic'd up? Oh well, just mic'd up podcast from the Charleston Activist Network on iTunes and all that, and all right, just word. just yep, same thing on Instagram. I'll put the link inside the um in the title. In the, in Thank the you, appreciate I, it. I've really enjoyed this. I I I I hope you've had as much fun as I I really have. Um, mm-hmm. I, I hope that. People who may have a specific idea of who to, who Mika is got a, a a really clear view. Like she ain't what you may think she is. No, and no. I, and I like I, I just love because I think that sometimes people people um, that people are 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 promoted as caricatures of themselves, and I don't like to see that happen, especially mm-hmm. to black people. Yeah, um, I, I just think that we're so much more than just hashtags. We're so much more than just mm-hmm. even our social media presence. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I think that you know. 
the, our intellect has to be highlighted. Um, and I think we have to have spaces like this where people can bring you in and have a conversation and really give you an opportunity to like, talk about your childhood. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm big on that. Like talk about me yes. as a kid. Like I want to know yes. about that. Um, also, I would love to come on your podcast. <laughs> oh, please do. Please do. I'm, let's do it. We're going to, we're going to set it up. Once yeah. I get more consistent, I got to be like you and be more consistent. So I'm going to get consistent and we're going to, <laughs> we're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Word. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. This has been dope, dope, dope. Did I start with music? Yeah. Can you hear it? <laughs> I can hear it. <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you so much to Mika, man. Thank you for coming on. Thank you to Mika Gaston. Check her out on the Miked Up podcast. Check out the Charleston Activist Network. Check her out on IG because she don't like Facebook. <laughs> um, y'all know y'all can find me here. We'll talk with Rajan every Wednesday night from 7 to 8 p.m. The local celebrity spotlight. Sometimes they're local. Sometimes they're not. Next week's guest is actually not local. I think next week's guest is Lindsay Anderson from Virginia, from Newport. No, 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 no. Hold on. Next Wednesday. Yeah, Lindsay Anderson. She's from Hampton Roads, Virginia. Hampton Roads, Virginia. She has an organization called... Um, 757 Drive. Drive 757. Um, Dream 757. I'm sorry, Lindsay. I messed up the name. Lindsay's going to be on next week, though, y'all. So check her out. She does. She works in mentorship, youth development. I met her through Clubhouse. She seems pretty cool. So I'm excited about having her on and talking about what she's doing in the community, how she's helping young people. If you are doing something in the community that you would like a light shined on, there are no requirements to come on my show. Just let me know you want to come on. Go to my website, www.lowcountryyouth.org. Go to the local celebrity spotlight and put in an application. Say, hey, Rajan, I want to come on and talk about what it is that I care about. Even if you don't do nothing that you think is important, let's find out about you. We might find out that you're a really special person. Who knows? But I want to make sure that I'm highlighting people who are doing great things. If you have a business, you have a nonprofit, you're, you're doing community work, um, you just think you're really smart and you want people to know how smart you are, go for that too. I'm here for it. Um, follow me everywhere on social media. I always have to ask, please follow me on YouTube. I have far too many, uh, too far too few YouTube viewers to be as dope as I am. I don't say that arrogantly. I say it confidently. Um, <laughs> um, lastly, um, there aren't any public speaking engagements going on right now, but if you need somebody to speak at your event, holla at your boy or Mika. Um, lastly, always remember, man, I always say this in closing and I mean it with the bottom of my heart. Um, I don't take this for granted that y'all take the time out to watch this. There are so many things going on in the social media, um, atmosphere. People are going live 3000 times a day, but y'all take the time out to watch this and follow this. And I appreciate that. Check me out on, um, everywhere podcasts can be found. And always remember, man, God is everything without him. We are nothing. So never forget where your help comes from. And if a man doesn't stand for something, he's bound to fall for anything. Now that, my friends, is real talk. I will see y'all next week. Peace.